This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hello, uh, this is Lynn of uh, Lynn and Jen, and let's talk about sex. And uh, whenever I we open with that, Jen, I'm always thinking that uh, we're really talking about gender here, too. So it's really let's talk about sex as both uh, is gender issues. And today we have a really important issue, maybe the most important uh, for children and men and women in our country, and that of uh, daycare and daycare in the United States. So um, I think it's a big job. We haven't talked about it yet, but it's very important that we really go ahead and discuss it. Yeah, I think, as you said, it's one of the top priorities in terms of things changing and making a difference. And so it's it's really great that we have the time to do this research and share with our listeners about what we're finding. Because as we were talking about right before sitting down and turning on our recorder, is that a lot of this the information is out there, but in some ways we're kept so busy that we aren't <laughs> given a chance to, to see what's really going on. And when you look at the numbers, when you look at the graphs, it becomes really apparent that this is a serious problem for a majority of people in the United States. And it's directly affecting both of our lives, really, that, uh, you know, I'm a new grandmother with a uh, almost a two-year-old grandson, and you're contemplating really having, um, you know, a child. So we have these two two parts of our lives going on, and we're both really coping with daycare issues. And your daughters are a little older than me, but around my age. So I think it's, it's fun because you can relate in the sense mm. that your daughters are around the same age. And you can share your perspective as a grandmother in in dealing with some of these issues. Right. My oldest daughter's a very brave young woman, and she's uh, 35 years old and has a uh, wonderful, wonderful son. Uh, But I see her working, you know, very hard with her partner, who also works very hard, and they do a lot of child care. Uh, but she comes home exhausted, and uh, really the weekends when she's on call, because she too is a physician in medicine, actually, and um, it's a big struggle, really, to manage everything, and it's very, very difficult, you know, for her, and she's courageous, and as I said, is doing a great job. Yeah, I think, you know, raising children is an important part of investing in our future and being able to look at the numbers and looking at how we support that or don't support that as a nation is really a a powerful conversation around being able to to express certain values and and the importance of investing in our future. So one of the things that was really striking to me is I was looking at 
one of the websites. It's called、um, Child Care Aware of America, and apparently, for the last eleven years, they've been tracking the cost of childcare across the states, across all the United States. And it really shows, especially with that amount of data now, that the United States and the costs of childcare is a real major problem. Because what they were saying is that, according to the Department of Health and Human Services, the cost or the percentage of your income. That should be devoted to childcare. They estimate should be no more than seven percent of a person's income. And I didn't look at other states, and we're here in California, <laughs> so I have the statistics on California. But what they're showing is that for a single parent income with one child, it's fifty point eight percent of that person's income, and for a single parent. Uh, with two children, it's eighty five point eight percent, and that I don't even know where does it say the cost for like your standard two person two parent household. Well, that's over on the side of the graph there, but even that is very substantial, and、uh, I think these numbers blew me away, Jennifer. They really were very very significant. Ah,、uh, here we go. Two children for married families. Twenty point two percent is at-home care, and twenty-six point nine percent for in-center care. Yeah, and it, you know there is a major difference for single parents versus a、uh, uh, two-parent、uh, household. But even the two-parent household,、uh, they're spending an outrageous amount of money. On childcare, and、um, you know, it's you have to work those extra hours to make that work. You have less energy to parent, and I, I you know, I've become, let's say, reawakened. I'm a child psychiatrist, so I work with many moms and dads who are struggling with this, and so I've seen it forever for the last forty some years. But I think what I see now is that it's grown even worse.、Um, the poverty levels for children in our country are rising, and there's less money spent on children. And then other countries, so-calledly countries that are well well off, such as France, which I'm fairly familiar with, have really stepped up to advocate uh, major uh, changes for children, and they now spend roughly, you know. Uh, two to three thousand dollars per year on each child, and they have, after a year of age, they cover children in comprehensive childcare so that mothers can work. Yeah, so I think it would be helpful to go more into what the creches are and and some of how their program works. But I think before we do that, I I think it's really important to highlight. It was astonishing to me that when you look at the cost of childcare for those first, I think it's like five years or something like that. At the moment, the average cost for center-based childcare for an infant costs more than a year of a person's mortgage in California. And it's equal to the annual cost of college tuition at a four-year college. That's so much money on childcare. That's absolutely right, Jennifer. And having to be funded by the families individually. That's absolutely right. And having raised two daughters,、um, uh, starting out as a two-parent、uh, family, and then being in a one-parent family, and having paid 
for the child care and the education. You know, I was aware of how much money it, it takes. And what it results in, I think, is especially single parents working long hours to make the money so that they can even cover the child. But then that reduces the amount of time they can spend parenting and doing effective parenting where they're not tired. So you really see, you know, we've talked a little bit about the rise of autism and uh, spectrum disorders with children. You know, you really see how those have corresponded to a a really decline in uh, uh, parenting for our kids in America. And this is, it's a horrible problem with implications everywhere. Well, not to mention that with the the screen time, too, that's increased a lot because parents come home and they're so exhausted and you need to keep your child occupied. It's much easier to hand them the phone or the iPad than it is to, in your exhausted state, try to stay engaged with your child. And so really everyone is losing here. Yeah, no, and uh, how strengths, uh, what can be added to this program Um, I think we're really talking about that there needs to be, for every child, uh, a subsidy, you know, and support for child care and parenting. And this should be universal. You know, it should be irrespective of income um, because there's differentials there. I'm sure maybe people are not aware of it, but at the very low end of the spectrum, there is some coverage. Uh, But then you get to the fact that the parents there may not have enough money for food. So you have true poverty at that end, but they may spend more time with their children. You know, and then the other end, you have the parents working to cover these huge costs, not able, coming home exhausted, maybe having enough food for their children, but really not able to nurture their kids in other ways. Um, One of the things I also see is my own generation of grandmothers is stepping up to the plate. And you and I talked about this, but I'm exhausted because I'm still working as, you know, an adult person. And now I'm a grandmother providing some hours of service and I I don't do anywhere near enough. If my daughter's listening, she's probably saying, what hours is she providing? But, you know, it's a lot for me every month to even involve myself in emotionally and be there and available to do time. And I love it, but it takes energy and grandmothers all over the country have to step up and move into this position. But grandmothers are not the answer to this. They're really not. Yeah. What you're really talking about is a universal child benefit. And they've shown that these, that providing this money up front during these very formative years has lifelong benefits to it. And so it's really an investment in, in the child's future, but also in, your, in the nation's future and in our family's future. And so it's, it's a very different idea. And I, I think one of the things that I didn't realize that was powerful to to learn about I'm trying to find I don't know why all my papers are getting jumbled here but it was the idea that you know the the US almost did have universal child care at at different points in time one was um during the war when women were needed in the workplace and so it became yeah. a necessity and framed as a, a way to help the nation. So when when you look at childcare as an investment in your nation's health, then 
it appeals to people. And what was so interesting is that in the 1970s, they tried to pass the Comprehensive Child Development Act, and it actually did pass on a bipartisan vote. And it was President Nixon at the time who voted it down because of conservative worries that having subsidies like this would undermine the traditional breadwinner homemaker family structure. And I think what we've seen is that instead of it instead of it forcing people to stay in this structure, it's instead just made it difficult more difficult for people because our families are changing. They are not so much this standard nuclear family. And so while that is evolving, the support systems are not evolving with it. Absolutely. And this is what I see really with my generation and our children is that uh, there's even less support than when I had children, you know, because my mother had already retired from being a school teacher by the time I had my kids. She was more available in some ways to give back than I am. So there's a lot of changes that are really going on with this that are important to pay attention to. You mentioned the two periods. The first was in the 1940s, and um, it was my grand- my mother worked in one of the uh, factories during uh, World War II, and child care was provided to mothers at that point in time. So it's very important because the women were out in the factories, they were doing things, they were supporting the war effort. And so it was seen as a very important part of our country. Um, and then that second period, when I hear about that with uh, President Nixon, it always makes me kind of just shiver. I mean, there are many consequences of Nixon's presidency uh, that we're thinking about today in the Trump world and other ways. But this one, the fact that we missed this opportunity, and it would have directly impacted on my children and, of course, all of the children to follow yours too. And it's just uh, very, very upsetting to see that missed opportunity. And I think looking at, you know, statistically, it it says that almost 70% of women that have children under the age of 18 do work outside the home. So to ignore this reality and, and just in a way, this is sort of just trying to shove women back into the homes, but women aren't allowing that to happen. And there are a lot of there are a lot of men too that don't want that to happen. And so I, I think it's it's really interesting because again, it's back to some of our discussions of power and support. And we're talking here on a national level, but really we need to support our children and our families so that we can invest in having a better nation. And current day, you know, we spend in America roughly 1% of our GDP on children. And if we were just to elevate that to the 2% level, you know, I'm not holding France up as a total model, but that would give us some, uh, you know, parallel with France. France is actually low in among developed countries for providing services. Luxembourg has maybe 
three times the amount of money that they spend on child care. Germany, two and a half times. So you really see that, you know, we're not talking about a highly developed model, but just enough support to help moms and dads today do what they have to do. Because these statistics are backbreaking. You really look at them. And in the homes, I've been visiting nieces and nephews having kids, and it's, it's, it's a nightmare, really. Well, I think part of it, too, is there's this sort of rugged individualism idea. And one of the things that's beautiful in the the article that we were reading about France is they were talking about this idea of collective responsibility. And I think in some ways, the individualism idea that's pushed in the United States has gone so far that it doesn't allow for a sense of collective responsibility. Because I, I definitely, you know, I, I'm Chinese, I come from that background, too. I do think it can swing too far towards collective responsibility, where, you know, th- that has its own problems. But looking at at the US, to me, this idea of we're really getting away from the idea of it takes a village to raise a child. And it's really seen now as sort of like, you're the parent, you need to figure this out, it's on you. And certainly as the parent, you have your role and your responsibility. But being able to look at even what, you know, studies are saying, again, going back to that idea that the Department of Health and Human Services is saying that it seems reasonable that no more than 7% of your income should go to ch- to childcare in terms of the costs of that. And yet you're seeing numbers like it, it's 50%, it's 20%. It's, it's more than double what the, what the stated value and, and the, the allocated amount should be. So it's really creating a major dissonance between what they're saying it should look like and what the policies and how it's being practiced is is showing. How maybe to shift a bit and ask you a personal question, Jennifer, yeah. you're struggling with this. How does this make you feel? You know, when you anticipate having children, let's say in the next seven, eight years, you know, what's that going to be like for you in terms of work balance and everything else with this? Well, honestly, it it brings up a lot of stress because trying to figure out, you know, I know that I want children. I know that investing in children is important. I think we talked in one of our other episodes, one of the reasons that I chose not to become a doctor was because I looked at how being a doctor affected a lot of the relationships in in my family and extended family and that they weren't able to be there for their children in a way that I knew I would want to be. And so in that way, I, I made a choice about trying to get a profession that had more flexibility. Um, so I know definitely it has affected certain paths that I think about taking. Um, I think also... Another big concern is, you know, I'm still paying off school loans, and I certainly am not the only one my age in that position. And so the idea of saving to have to afford essentially what equates to a four-year college tuition within the next five years seems to me almost like an impossibility. And and that was something that we had talked about earlier, too, is, you know, I can fathom 
in some ways saving for my future child's college tuition fees because there's time. I can, you know, leverage money. I can move it in different directions so that there's time to accumulate it. But right now I even feel like I'm I'm not even really saving that much myself because it's going to my student loans. And so the idea of having to very quickly have enough money within the next, you know, let's say five years to support my child is very daunting. And, you know, people ask, well, why don't parents save for college? You know, parents can barely and maybe can't make the payments on their own loans, which are much higher than they used to be, and ensure that their child have the daily child care. Right. So these three things are just smashing, you know, any of the opportunity to really have children. It's amazing when you look at them and it's the government really not supporting the collective group in any from any angle. You know, so it comes it doesn't help with your education, really doesn't help with your child's development. And then it's not going to help with your child's education. So it's really families are looking at this and reconsidering, how is this possible? How can this be done? Exactly. And so again, it's that idea of that individualism. I think the individualism is important in terms of your sense of assertiveness, your sense of self, your ability to to do things and accomplish things. But when you look at people who rise up in, in power as well, like they don't do it on their own. And so I think there's sort of this myth of, you know, I can do it myself. Um, I remember talking with my husband about the whole concept of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps that a lot of people ascribe to now. And that started out as a facetious, as a joke, because the idea of being able to pull yourself from your bootstraps is absurd because that's not possible. And so something that started out as as this sort of idea of like, oh, how funny, has become one of those values. And I was even looking at one of the surveys that was asking about what do you think should we have um, should we have some sort of universal child care or should parents have to pay for it themselves out of pocket? There are a lot of people who do believe that it should be just paid out of pocket because you have to, quote unquote, pull yourself up from your bootstraps. And we're talking about these myths and fallacies that really affect uh, anyone in this country who wants to have children. I think for me, I hope in the next year to really visit different childcare settings throughout the world and really look at you know, obviously the invested dollar from the government makes a difference, but look at how other countries are really handling this because we're not doing a good job here in America. You know, and uh, again, it's a, a gender issue. The burden falls a lot to mothers. Um, you know, I think back on the years um, in the 80s uh, and early 90s when I was raising my children and needed childcare, and yes, um, there, I'm still friends with the women who provided that childcare. They were amazing, and they're still part of my life, you know, in many ways. Um, so that was very, very helpful. But it was not easy to find then. And one of the other things I would recommend for 
moms and dads to consider. I had a a stay-at-home job, as my younger daughter described it, where I worked at home, saw kids and clients in my back room. And it was great because I was more available to my kids. That's another thing for parents. Uh, Working at home helps, but it doesn't take the place, really, of these programs and good child care. It really doesn't. No, and it's not an option for a lot of people, unfortunately. That's right, Jennifer. And, And I think that's the thing is, to me, why this is such an important issue on top of just, you know, child care being important is it's really about giving people options. So what I see a lot nowadays, actually, is I have a lot more fathers who are doing the child rearing. And it's putting a very different strain on them because their wives are the ones going out and being the primary breadwinners. But as we talked about with the gender gap and all of that, it puts a different kind of strain on the relationship because there is a sense that if the husband were the one to be the breadwinner, that they would just by being them naturally be bringing in more income. And so I think it's really about, and I see there are some mothers who don't particularly love the idea of being a stay-at-home mom, and and that there are some fathers that love the idea of being a stay-at-home dad. And because there isn't that equality, there's not that option in terms of an, an equal opportunity. The opportunity cost is very different based on your gender. And this is a, another difference that I've really seen with my French friends is that they have, because childcare effectively begins at one year and it's available, either parent can find their best career path with that. And then they can also have time to be available to their child in an emotional way. And that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about healthier children and healthier parents. And both groups are really suffering today. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that I see too, is as as someone with a psychological background, I know how important in terms of development and the sense of attachment and security the first one to five years are. And so, you know, you were asking me about sort of my future plans. (laughs) A lot of my planning is around what can I do to have an income, but also have the flexibility to be able to be present, extremely present during those at least first two years of my child's life. And I, I feel that I'm having to kind of contort myself in all these different ways to try and make that happen. But it's so important to me that I'm going to fight for it. Yeah, yeah. And as looking from the vantage point of the grandmother role now, um, I, I think it's really important that others in the culture look at how we can help young people parents to be like yourself? And really, what role can we provide? And changing the government is a big part of it, as well as providing hands-on support. Again, I think the question about healthy children, you know, this issue around the rise of children on the spectrum, you know, some of that's been believed to be related to devices you know, children are placed on devices a lot. They're more isolated. They don't engage with other children. 
But you think about those parents coming home, and I've seen them all over the country, exhausted at 6 or 7 o'clock. You know, they have to provide food for the child at that time and get the child to bed. You know, but uh, again, that's just bare minimum. So the kind of social interaction, the back and forth, the listening to the child, to hearing about their day, to helping the child become a separate person from them, and all of that goes by the wayside. Yeah, and and I think as a result, everyone suffers in that situation. Or Er, maybe not suffer, we all lose. Everybody loses with that. I think of it as suffering. You know, because I think those children suffer when they're not able to engage in that way, you know, and they don't have the backup and the support, really, you know, because children need more than one adult, more than two adults to really become a person. Yeah. And it reminds me, too, of maybe it was part of the collectivist nature of, you know, the Chinese culture. But certainly when I was born, my parents were working 70 hour weeks. They didn't consider it strange. It was just kind of the expected. My mom, I believe she told me she was one of the first to have a child in her office. And she oh. didn't have you in the office. She no, was working. right, right. While <laughs> it she seems was, that way, Jennifer. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, while she was working, she uh. was one of the first people in her office to have given birth. Yes. And it really only worked because my grandpa moved here and he was basically the primary caretaker. So my parents obviously were present in my life, but they could not have done it without my grandpa's help. And that was for at least, I think, the first three years he was here by himself and he left my grandma in Taiwan. And so that put a strain on their relationship, too. And a strain really on everyone's relationship that here, a grandparent who, and might I add, I knew your grandfather and he went back to Taiwan. He's not somebody trying to make it over here, but he had to come over here to do child care for you. And he did a great job. Yeah. <laughs> But where are those grandparents? Do we? Does everybody need that? I, you know, I think maybe in our country they do. Well, I think it exactly. It puts a strain on the grandparents too. But there are so many of us, especially because we're moving for jobs and different things, that we're not close to family. And so that's something that's come up too. Because my husband is planning to attend grad school, and we don't know where he's going to attend. And we know we want to have kids within the next few years. And so it's also like, well, do you only apply to grad schools that are near people that, you know, that are family or that are like family? Because that component, it it puts so much strain. And I, I'm, as I'm talking to, I'm thinking about some of the families that I've worked with, where maybe it's a couple and they're working on relationship issues, but they're talking a lot about childcare and and how they're having to manage it and how stressful it is. And so it's becoming just such a part of of that dynamic and it it keeps people from it keeps parents from being able to even have the the parent relationship functioning well. And you and I both talked about how several of our clients come home and they take shifts with the child. Right. 
but they in in doing that they really lose the opportunity for interaction with each other yeah because it's so exhausting and we've looked at the high divorce rate in our country if you're taking shifts that are not shifts with your partner they're shifts apart from your partner you really have even less opportunity to build the relationship and if you look at family structures as i talk about with a lot of my clients being able to prioritize a healthy parental dynamic really does actually trickle down to the children and being able to not be divided by them, being able to provide a sense of safety and security, being able to provide that secure attachment. So it really plays out in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Well, I think we're only beginning with this issue, but I think it's really a key one, maybe the key issue uh, around child rearing today in America. And I think it's something we're going to continue to talk about and advocate for. And I'd encourage, or encourage our listeners to have those conversations and think about advocacy in this important area. Yeah, and I'll be sure to post the, um, what is it called? The Child Care Aware of America link on our Facebook page. So go ahead and go take a look at that so you can see the statistics for the different states across the U.S. Yeah. Well, thank you for all of this, Jen, and uh, I hope we can help make a difference in this area. Me too. Thanks, Lynn. Come on.